Communication with kids that come out of trauma means that you need to think differently to create connection. Join today's episode for a personal story from Sarah Brumley as she navigated reactive attachment disorder and autism with her adopted children. Are you tired of repeating yourself with your children or wonder why they don't listen? Are you frustrated because you wish your kids could communicate their wants and needs more clearly instead of whining or yelling? Are you plagued by the feeling you cannot meet all the needs in your family? Hey parents, you don't need to stay overwhelmed and exhausted. It is possible to build strong family relationships and have boundaries that benefit kids. Hello, my name is Dina Lynn Rosenbush mom, grandma, and speech-language pathologist of over 25 years. In this podcast, you will find solutions to get kids to listen better and build strong family connection, feel confident in managing difficult behaviors, and to help your children build more language of their own. So if you are ready to communicate in ways that build deep, meaningful connection and create a more peaceful, productive, and happy home, listen in. Let's interrupt the way you've been parenting so you can become the parent you want to be. You are going to just love this interview with Sarah Bromley today. But before we begin, I want to read a review. This review is from Carrie Pratt from The Mom Wife Career Life podcast. She writes love and gives five stars. I'm always looking for better ways to communicate with my kids and help their development. This podcast does just that. Thank you, Carrie. And an announcement. Coaching program enrollments are open. If you have been considering getting help to be able to understand what is it that your child is actually thinking, why do they do what they do? And you want some specific help, that's what I'm here for. So either email me at hello at the language of play.com or go join my Facebook group. You will find the link in the show notes below. Hello, listeners. Today I have with us Sarah Brumley. She is a wife of 17 years. She's a mama to two teenagers and a toddler. And she is with us today as an everyday parent. She has had her own struggles, her own issues. And if you imagine two teenagers and a toddler, she's got her own complications that come with that and her own joys. Sarah, thank you for being willing to come on to the podcast, The Language of Play, today. I know this is not your field of study as you teach women in business how to do an online business, and you've got your own work that way. But yet you've just graciously given of your time to talk about your experience as a mom and the various struggles and issues that you've had. So can you just introduce yourself a little bit more? Like, tell us about the teens and the two-year-old and the gap and how that all worked for you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting and I'm excited to be here. Um, So I have, yes, two teenagers. They are now 16 and 15. However, my husband and I adopted them when they were four and five from the foster care system. So we have obviously um, a lot that's going on with that piece of stuff, but trauma and a lot of abuse that was involved. And so 
it's been a very, very um, interesting journey for us, I would just say, and we can probably dig deeper into some of that in a minute. But as far as the big gap, um, we were told that we would never have kids. And so uh, 15 years into our relationship, we ended up pregnant with our little blessing, who is now almost two years old. And so, of course, all of our kids are blessings, but it was just such a surprise. So it's been a whole nother journey raising a two-year-old now with a 16-year-old and a 15-year-old. And yeah. we thought we were in a whole different stage of life. <laughs> I bet you did. Surprise. <laughs> exactly. Now, with yeah. your 15 and 16-year-old, you mentioned, you know, they come from the foster system. Mm-hmm. There's abuse and trauma. How has that impacted your life? Yeah, in a lot of ways, honestly. Um, I think the biggest way is, and honestly, this is what you teach is all about communication. But I think the way that you have to communicate and learn to communicate with kids who have come out of trauma situations, specifically abuse situations, they don't have that same amount of trust that you're like even my now two-year-old does in me, right? He trusts me because I've been there to protect him through these, you know, formative years so far. Um, And I've always been there for him. But for kids who have come out of those trauma situations, that's not the same. They don't feel like they can trust you. They don't feel like they can communicate with you when something's going wrong. And so that's a big, that's been a big challenge for us over the years, I would say, and still is, honestly, even at 15 and 16, even 11 years almost 12 years later, since we've, you know, took them into our home, it's still a struggle to communicate at times with them. So, yeah, I so. would imagine you've got early bonding trauma. So there's exactly. attachment trauma. So that's yeah. that real foundational early learning that attaches their hearts. So mm-hmm. they're missing a key piece in their foundation. I imagine that you have done a fair amount of learning with um, adoption agencies or whatever. Have you been supported in that way? Yeah, initially we were supported a lot. Um, I tend to be a researcher, so I found a lot of books early on that I felt helped. Um, Our younger daughter has autism and our older daughter is on the spectrum somewhere, although it's never been like finely tuned as to where that is. And so um, those challenges were also something that we had to do a lot of researching into how to manage those different things. But yeah, I think just I honestly was looking for resources in the form of books in the form of I would have been probably looking for podcasting at that point in time, except it was very new. So um, yeah. So I'm wondering, with that uh, autism plus attachment issues, and um, how it is that you bridge the gap? I know that it's not fully bridged. I get that. Mm -hmm. But yet, to bridge the gap in autism is a big job to b- yes. bridge the gap with attachment or maybe you're dealing with reactive attachment disorders mm-hmm. or yeah okay and so you know to bridge the gap that way and then when you put them together that's that's a lot mm-hmm. what kinds of things have you done to build connection that have been successful some things i'm sure haven't been yeah Oh, man, there's a lot of things that haven't been successful. I'll tell you that. Um, But as far as things that have been successful, I found that. um, And I'm trying to think back to even the earlier ages, but honestly. 
choosing our battles was a big one. Like picking the things that really mattered. And those were the things that we were going to be um, dealing with in a negative sense, right? When we're talking about negative behaviors or those types of things. But in order to prevent those negative behaviors or to encourage the more positive behaviors, we used a lot of positive reinforcement. And so I did that in a lot of ways. Our conversations around the dinner tables were always, you could have three positives and one negative, and that was that was it. So we would go around and everybody would say three positives and one negative. But I found that more we focused on the positives that had happened in their lives, that had happened between us, um, the less behaviors, I'm not going to say like behaviors, because that was still there, I guess, but the less there was that push not to communicate with us. Does that make, I don't know if I'm the saying that the right way. The wall was right. firm? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So then it was more like if I'm, if I'm personally looking for those positives, they wanted to come talk to me more. They wanted to be with me more because they wanted to hear those positives said back to them or. Oh, that makes thing. sense. That makes sense because yeah. they grew up in a way that they didn't experience the kind of positives that like you normally pour into mm -hmm. your two-year-old. You know, right. I mean, it's, it's a normal thing and they missed all of that. Well, and I think with trauma too, a lot of times they, um, any attention can be good attention sometimes on one side or yeah. any attention at all can be bad attention. Does that make sense? Like where they, they can go one direction or the other, where I have one daughter who wants all of the negative attention, but she's okay with that, right? That's attention. She's okay with that. My other daughter wants no attention at all because attention feels like an affront to whatever is going on in her sure brain. and that's part of reactive attachment isn't it? it is yeah and so reactive attachment uh do you want to describe it sure you want me to? I can okay go ahead go ahead um <laughs> probably, i'm yeah. just guessing that most listeners may or may you know listeners may or may not know what reactive attachment is yeah. So reactive attachment disorder, and I'm not, probably not going to say it in a clinical way at all, but That's it's okay. real. it's very much a, they didn't build this attachment with you or with anybody bonding. potentially that bonding attachment. And so there's just a lack of trust, I would say, but it's also like a ingrained so deeply where, no, I'm probably not going to say that, like explain it right. Sure. I can, I can try to help with this. Yeah. And if I say it different than your kids have experienced it, just change it. My understanding is that because the early bonding didn't happen, there isn't that trust, just like you're saying. Mm -hmm. And so when a child grows up without that trust, and then somebody comes into their life and they come up to that wall that they have built and they start to feel themselves get close and they start to feel the trust and they start to feel the warmth the fear of that causes them to react against it mm -hmm. instead of you know digging into it and clinging they, they'll bounce away and and usually that bounce away can be with aggression or or some kind of big behavior because there's so much internal visceral kind of fear of mm -hmm. attaching because it's an unfamiliar and it has been a traumatizing thing. So when they get mm -hmm. close to it and they start to feel the warmth, their lack of trust for that warmth causes rebound. Right. Absolutely. Is that how you experienced it? Yeah, I think it is. And I think that um, one of the things that we notice is that, you know, a comfortable, what a, you know, atypical children, child would think of as like safe, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
makes them feel unsafe. Right. Because we trust, and those of us that didn't have that kind of early trauma, trust those feelings, those instincts inside of us that this is safe. Right. But they grew up with that instinctual or intuitive feeling of when they get to trust, that's unsafe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the very thing that we should be able to trust, it causes them to want to run away. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and in, in, a, in a typical relationship, you would think, you know, love would, it would be enough, right? But it with reactive attachment kids, it's not. Right, right. Yeah. And there's some heartbreak with that. Mm-hmm. Because for you sure. love these kiddos so much. And you have poured your life into them for 10, 11, 12 years now. Mm-hmm. And, and they can only receive so much. Yes. Are you able to tease out what part of the behavior is autism versus what part of it is reactive attachment? That's been a challenge. I would honestly. imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think early on, we were able to see the autism a little bit more. Um, and maybe we just, um, yeah, I think, you know, honestly, I think that we can see differences. I don't know that I could actually verbalize them to you, but I know that I can see like, um, with my younger daughter, I can see the the autism in the the con- the consistency in the patterns of behavior. Does that make sense? Whereas, mm-hmm. um, like, so she the repetitive behaviors are very much more on the autism side as po- as opposed to the reactive attachment side. Um, but I definitely think that they match <laughs> a lot. There's a lot of sure. So, um, where are you at now in your communication with them how has it blossomed how has it grown yeah so um you know it's it's come a long ways like way like I'm just amazed it's night and day honestly even from a couple years ago well Um, I actually I invited you on I should say because this is a success story in many ways mm -hmm. even though you still have issues and trauma and all that to deal with you do have a success story and so I would like our listeners to know what it is that you did that what worked? What was successful? Yeah. Like, and have you grown? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a lot of it is, um, for us, honestly, it's been a huge blessing having my younger son around because just seeing his development has helped my older girls through their development too, because they are learning alongside him. So not everybody gets that opportunity, right? To have a little person that they get to learn alongside, but they're they're picking up some of those things that they missed. So that's been very helpful over the last couple of years. But also I think that communicating, communication wise, it's just very cut and dry. We're very cut and dry with the girls. We're very um, open, honest. If I can't tell them something, I don't, you know, I, I say, I can't tell you this, right? Because I'm not going to. Um, but for the most part, there's just not allowing for that uh, that feeling that they might not be able to trust me or trust my husband. Oh, sure. Or whatever's going on. Kind of um, like going around it yes. to build relationship, going around it to have communication so that mm-hmm. you don't bump up against that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and we've also done a lot of things like we, yeah, right. (laughs) We also have done a lot of things like making sure that we are very focused on what's going on at home and leaving some of the school stuff out of it. So if it can be handled at school, it gets handled at school. We don't jump into that. We don't go become a part of it. We don't allow for that. What can be, 
what can become triangulation, right, between us and the school and our child, we don't put that barrier in between things if we don't have to, right? If I get a call from the school and my daughter's gotten suspended, then obviously I'm part of this. But um, for the most part, we just stay out of it and allow them to allow the school to handle the things that the school needs to handle. Um, obviously, we're still part of it, but our daughters don't know the extent to who we're communicating with and that kind of thing. So that's been very helpful just for peace within our home and healthy communication within our home, because we're only addressing things that are happening that we can see. So then we can have, you know, positive conversations around the things that we see, those types of things. I want to say that that's probably the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that would be really helpful. Hmm. All right. Let's switch to your two-year-old. Obviously, there's a big difference in taking it in a four and five-year-old versus mm-hmm. taking in a newborn. <laughs> yes. What are you learning now? Oh, my goodness. Well, we're currently in the screaming phase, so that's fun. <laughs> Everything <laughs> wants to be a very high-pitched scream all the time. He's right on that borderline. He's communicating with a few words here and there, and he's... um signing just a little bit. So we have some signs that he uses here and there. Um, So that's helpful. But yeah, we're right on the borderline of, I think, full sentences or, you know, more words, that kind of thing coming out. I think the biggest thing with a two-year-old is really, and honestly, with any kid, is being present. Mm -hmm. When, When I am fully present with him, when I'm watching him, when I am, you know, when I've got eyes on him and he knows that when he looks at me, I see him, He's communicating with me in a much better way consistently than he would be. And same with my girls, right? Than he is when I'm distracted, when I'm on my phone, when I've got something else going on. And I think that that's a huge piece with him um, is just, and that keeps the screaming at bay a little bit because he's not frustrated, right? So then the communication between the two of us is better. Sure. It's interesting. And it's just real true how you mentioned that when you're not distracted and you are present with someone, you know, you're having that better communication and they're interacting with you better. It's the same with your older girls as your two-year-old. I suspect it's the same with your customers and it's the same with your spouse, you know, because humans want that one-to-one interaction without the phone talking in the middle without the computer going on and and you're just kind of giving an aside comment to people, they want presence. Mm -hmm. And yet, even though your girls will sometimes react against the presence that they so crave, it still is good for them. And, and it's what they want. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So with your, um, business being at home and your toddler being at home and your girls go to school and then they're at home. How do you navigate that big need gap and your time? That's probably a loaded question. That is a loaded question. Um, some days very well and some days not so well. <laughs> let's, just let's talk about the needs first. Okay. So you've got yeah. a really different type of need for mm-hmm. a 15 and 16 year old than you have yeah. for a two-year-old even though they both need presence, which is a very broad term, their tactical needs of the day are going to be very different. How do you bounce back and forth between a two-year-old and a teenager? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think that 
I don't, I mean, honestly, I think that it's just something that we've kind of grown into. I don't know that I make it a big, like, I don't know that it's been a big bounce back and forth between the two. Honestly, I kind of think that the teenagers and the toddler have very similar needs. They both need me there for them all the time. And so when they're present, and so in order to, you know, balance that work end of things, it's making sure that I'm present when they're home, making sure that I've already fed into them and given them the attention that they need prior to, to taking on a work task or whatever, if they are with me and I'm still watching them during that time frame or employing help, I guess, around it is probably the biggest thing that I've done. Um, with my kids being gone, the older girls being gone to school, then it's a little bit easier for me to get work done when my younger guy is napping sometimes. Like right now. Like right now. (laughs) And he is actually napping. Yes. Um, yeah. So then I can get a little bit of work done during that timeframe. Uh, a lot of times I'll prioritize early morning when my husband's still home so that I can get an hour or so in during that timeframe. But it really is just all about making sure I know, what my priorities are for that day or that hour. And then, and then I don't know, allocating the time to it that doesn't take it away from my kids. When my kids are home, I try my very hardest to just be present with them. It's not always the case. There's, you know, like with anything, there's stuff that comes up, right? But I do my very best to prioritize them being being home. I think my biggest challenge is honestly, some of the, for my older girls, the appointments, things like that, that need to that just break up days or the calls from providers or whatever else that can be interruptions. So that can be a little bit harder to navigate. But and packing up the toddler to go along. <laughs> yes. And that too. Colleagues. Yes. Yeah. yes. Well, and I, I can vouch, Sarah, you have been doing this because I've known you now for several months. And um, I also have, you know, used your services too for business stuff. And um, all through this, you work around your family and you're back to work and you tell me the hours you're working and then you you click out and go to family and you know I've seen you for months now navigate this juggling schedule mm-hmm. and I think you are magnificent at it even though it doesn't always feel like that and mm-hmm. I know that because we've had conversations but at the same time I think you're magnificent at it it's it's amazing to me oh thank you I do think too like for anybody who's listening to this that thinks, well, I just don't understand how to juggle it all. There's season for it too. And I mean, I worked my business too um, from home for a lot of years with my kids in school. So it was a huge adjustment to have a little person around. And so (laughs) I don't have it all right. I don't have it all perfect either. There are days when it feels like everything's falling apart. And that's the reality of this season of my life. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's also this idea of balance. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I wonder about that word, because if you really think about how you've got teens, two-year-old husband, house, pets, you know, business, all that stuff, we don't ever hold it in balance. If you think of it like a teeter-totter or something, you are stepping here now and your attention is at the two-year-old and it is not on your business. And then you go over to the business side and you're going to do that. And and maybe I need to use a different metaphor of a disc instead of a teeter-totter so that we have one fulcrum. You know, it's it's like you're doing one thing at a time you and you just juggle or you switch places, but we can't keep all the balls in the air at the same time. We just have to deal with one at a time as best as we can. Yeah. There's absolutely no even division in any of it with family, with life, with anything. Absolutely not. Yeah. Right. You just do what you can today. 
Absolutely. And I just prefer to be present in the moment. So if I can be present for work, then I want to be present for work. And then if Mm -hmm. I am going to be present with my family, I want to be present with my family. And by doing that, everybody gets what they need in that moment. And that to me is better than having an even balance, I think. I would imagine you feel more authentic and more whole that way too. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I know that I've seen a piece on you when you have said, no, this is what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So if a listener was to hear this, what kind of advice would you give or recommendation would you give to the listener that is dealing with reactive attachment disorder? They've adopted kiddos and they're thinking, holy cow, or maybe we're just talking about um, kiddos with autism, there's a language delay. Mm-hmm. There's something going on that's interfering. What, yeah. what would you say to those parents? I would say find resources early on. Find somebody, not only who's going to help your kids, but somebody who's going to help you. And I highly recommend getting mental health providers on board early on for you as the parent, because it will be challenging. You will have days you want to give up and cry. And if you don't have that support, it's a very, very lonely journey. And I would say one of the things that I waited way too long to do was that. And so I would just highly recommend making sure you're taking care of yourself, that you have that mental health support, and then getting the providers on board to be able to help you navigate that communication barrier with your child. Um, or the reactive attachment disorder, or whatever other type of mental health needs there are there. Right. That's very, very good advice. And I I know that I I once had somebody who, um, a young adult that was living with me for a while that had reactive attachment disorder, and he was in a transition. And during that time, we had these amazing conversations about what it is that his teen years were like. And he came to me about age 24. And he, Mm -hmm. he, opened my eyes to a lot of what you're dealing with. So now with um, autism and teaching communication, what advice would you give with that? I don't know how well you could tease that apart, but do you have a different advice? With the autism piece, once again, I think um, Utilizing those school resources as much as you possibly can was very beneficial for us personally. Um, We were just very, with autism, I felt like I just needed to be very consistent. Like there needed to be no guesswork. We used a lot of chore charts that had visual pictures and things like that so that it was very consistent from day to day in our schedules. And there just wasn't any guesswork. I feel like for kids with on the autism spectrum, that guessing game or that, you know, sudden shift in the schedule or anything like that can throw everything off. And so I think that one of the things that we did while communicating was having that clear schedule so that that wasn't a barrier and then just being able to use more of those visual tools throughout the day to communicate responsibilities, even the home. I don't know if that's kind of what you're asking for, but that was one of the things that we Yeah, it's exactly what I'm asking for. It's that idea of communicating. How is it that you were able to get past the autism barrier? Because you had two barriers. Reactive Mm -hmm. attachment is an enormous barrier, and that's your barrier for connection. And Mm -hmm. autism is a barrier for communication. 
you know, like obviously both are both, but you know, there's a little more in connection Mm -hmm. with reactive attachment and there's more in communication with your autistic children. So Mm -hmm. um, you have different battles and you're juggling them. So thank you for your advice for what it is that um, my listeners could implement if they are finding themselves in some of those same boats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would, oh, you know, before you go, I would like you to go ahead and tell people what it is that you do. Oh, sure. Yeah, I help um, moms in business specifically grow their online businesses through setting up their systems and all those different types of things. Um, so Yay. I run a podcast called Mama <laughs> Business. <laughs> yeah, that that's I what listen I do. to regularly. Yes. And yeah. she helps me with my systems. Yes. Yeah. So, yep. Communicating to your potential clients. That's what I do. How to get your clients to get on board. Yay. Yes. And that is what I definitely needed a lot of help with. We all need help no matter what it is we're doing and knowing systems and how it is to to set up just the flow. I had no idea. So Sarah has been amazing to help me with things like that. Thank so, you. But I've got a lot to do still. <laughs> I'm just yeah. at the start of it. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> right. All right. And then um, is there anything else that you would like to leave the audience with, with regards to kids communication and connection? No, I, well, I mean, I guess just getting the support you need is really mm-hmm. important. Making sure you're talking with other people who've been through it and not going it alone. That's, that's probably my biggest piece of advice is not to do it alone. I love that. That's why you're in business so that I don't do it alone. And that's why I'm helping parents because I don't think they need to do it alone. So exactly, that's what us coaches are for. Yes. absolutely. Good for you, Sarah. Thank you so much for, for your input, for sharing your story. And um, I see... And, you know, like what I know from my experience in the school and when I hear your labels that you're dealing with, I just know that your home life has had enormous challenges. And when I look at you and what I know of you, you are calm, you are peaceful, you are um, doing amazing. And I know that it's much harder than you portray. And so kudos to you and good job for all of the good work that you have done. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you. You're welcome. Remember, moms and dads, when you get behind the eyes of a child, you can speak in ways their brains understand. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you feel hopeful and want to hear more, please share this podcast with other parents that might want the same. I would be so appreciative if you would rate and review. You can also connect with me at hello at thelanguageofplay.com.